was listening to the show, this podcast, and they're like, I can't remember what it was called, but it's like, there's the rule is, um, no matter what your opinion is, there is at least one person on the internet that disagrees with it. Absolutely. And that, Absolutely. That is, yep. And I mean, well even if even if your opinion is cancer is bad, like there's somebody who will disagree with you. <laughs> it's population like, control. There's, you you yeah, got to thin out the herd. Yeah, you got to thin out the herd. Like there's no opinion that's safe from one, the internet. One exception today, nope. a real Panthers fan saying Freddie Mercury doesn't belong with uh, Michael Jackson and Prince. Oh my God! You know, <laughs> you know, in a way, he's actually right. Um. And a real Panthers fan, if you're listening to this podcast, because I hope you are, Assuming this um, gets in the show. you're wrong. <laughs> Assuming this gets in the show, you're wrong uh, to a point, but you're also right. Freddie Mercury does not belong on the same level as Michael Jackson and Prince because he is so far above them that they shouldn't even be mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> He's the fucking truth. God damn it. He, he is the most legendary greatest vocalist that music, not just rock music, but music has ever been gifted. And that is the only correct opinion on the matter. The guy's vocal cords were literally different when he was born. Like, and if you don't, yeah, if you don't believe me, get on your computer and Google queen 1985 live aid concert. It's 21 minutes long. Watch the video. Your life will be changed. And also keep in mind that if you do watch that, Freddie Mercury had the flu when he did that performance. And it is considered by multiple people in the music industry as the single greatest rock and roll performance by any group ever in the history of music. And he did that. Yeah. No, like real music people (laughs) have said that. Like Rolling Stone, yeah. you know, people like that have actually, con- they consider that the greatest performance in the history of rock and roll music. And he did it with, with the freaking flu. So, uh, you know, Michael Jackson didn't do that. And Prince didn't do that. So <laughs> enough said. Hello and welcome to the Keep Sounding Podcast. This is your SB Nation official Carolina Panthers podcast via Cat Scratch Reader. I'm joined by Brad. Brad, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. And I'm also joined by John. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. Good. Hopefully you had some queen on your on your uh, playlist as you were coming back from work today. Seems like the best way to go about the end of your work day. Um, we are here to talk about Carolina versus Baltimore on Sunday. One o'clock game against the Ravens, and the last time these two teams played, it was not good. But this one could be good. Maybe. The Panthers face off against a very, very good defense, one that sacked Marcus Mariota, what, like 10 to 12 Seven. times or something like that? 11. Yes, 10 to 12. So I was right in the ballpark. 
hadn't prepared my notes. So I apologize for that. Show them um, what's going on, Brian. And a very, a very underrated offense as well, with uh, Joe Flacco playing with a fire lit under his ass after they drafted Lamar Jackson. He's got Michael Crabtree, John Brown, um, some other guys here and there. <laughs> yes. Um, so there, there are other players on the Ravens' offense. Um, so this could be this could be a tough one for the Panthers. I mean, they just came off a really playing a really good defense in Philadelphia and they'll be playing maybe even a better one as far as the front seven is concerned against the Ravens. So looking at the Panthers versus the Ravens defense, what are we most concerned about? John, I'll start with you. Uh, Can I say everything? Under pressure. (laughs) I'm just going to make Queen. I'm just going to make Queen references all night. You, you, You might as well just deal with it. Yeah. I, well, I don't know. I mean, Terrell Suggs is obviously always a problem, but I, I, their pass defense, well, their their defense isn't much of other than that game. Oh, never mind. They have 27 sacks. I remember reading at one point that they didn't get a lot of sacks, but they were forced. They're still doing great in pass defense. That clearly isn't the case anymore since they have a commanding lead uh, over the rest of the NFL in solo sacks. So yeah, I'm just gonna go with everything because I don't know if there's like a a play, like a part of this defense that's weak or that's like an obvious, you know, place to exploit. Uh, Definitely not. (laughs) They have a very complete defense. Um, They also have Eric Weddle who thinks that Cam Newton's a dinosaur. (laughs) So that's, they have their expectations measured, which is good. Um, They have Terrell Suggs, who is the second leading active sack leader behind you or excuse me a force fumble leader behind julius peppers with 33 um they have cj mosley in the middle he's obviously could be a problem um really looking at the defense it just kind of seems like the intermediate passing game maybe but overall not a plus matchup for the panthers um brad what are you looking at you just got to play the game you play to win the game. He's making another Queen reference. I know. <laughs> Brad's probably got like the Queen just like discography pulled up right now, just like skimming through for songs he can use. There's a probably five percent chance that that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm looking at the Ravens defense just real quick. They are first in the NFL in completion percentage allowed. First in the NFL in yards per pass attempt allowed. Uh, they are second in opposing passer rating, even though they've only intercepted five passes, which is like middle of the pack. Um, second fewest touchdown passes allowed and fifth lowest yards per carry allowed. So, yeah. It's kind of magic what they're able to Damn. do. <laughs> <laughs> they have they have they have one vision, which is to just make other teams play the way they want them to play and just take over games. Yeah, the secondary. Looking at it, Jimmy Smith, Brandon Carr, Tony Jefferson, Eric Weddle. That's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good group of four there for your starting four on the defensive backside. Um, you said backside against the run, the defensive back side of the game. You said backside again. 
I separated out the words back and side. Thank you. I will say, freaking uh, children. Jimmy or um, Brandon Carr and Jimmy Smith. Uh, neither of them practiced on Wednesday. I don't know the Thursday injury report yet. So maybe they're yeah. If the, like, so that's good. Yeah, if they're a little little slowed down, that will help us a little bit. So it kind of seems like on the offensive side of the ball, the best thing they can really do is introduce a little speed, aka DJ Moore, Especially Curtis since, Samuel. Uh, Might Smith be a good scaling. idea. Yes. Also, He's ailing with a hurt knee. So, fun fact: Curtis Samuel has uh, two touchdowns on five touches on offense this year. It's pretty good. Don't know if you uh, guys I, I saw it's, that. It's, it's it's worth looking into. It's pretty good. Yeah, maybe Another worth feeding him the ball a little yeah, more. I, Might be worth it. I don't know. I mean, I have a feeling Not that an if, expert. If, if Tory doesn't play, we'll see more Jerry's right and roughly the same DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. But I'm hopeful that we'll see more of at least one of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going <laughs> slightly mad over it because I think we need to see more Curtis Samuel, especially because. It, it seems like almost every time he touches the ball, he scores. And, you know, that's obviously a tiny sample size, but, you know, it, it, it makes sense to work him into the, the scheme. And I don't know why, for whatever reason, Ron is continuing to be stubborn about it. I mean, that's kind of his MO. Veteran presence, bro. Yeah, maybe you, just, you need to get more snaps before you get more snaps but- for Ron Rivera. Yeah, exactly. By the way, the, the way. By the way, the, the, the so this seems card, like uh, Jimmy Smith has okay. been practice on Wednesday. Practice in full on Thursday, so we're just going to disregard that. That's good. <laughs> seems good. So this seems like a team where, and I've been saying this for the last I don't know two or three weeks, but it seems like this is a team where Christian McCaffrey is going to have to get involved in the passing yeah. game. Because that front seven is good. They will get after the quarterback. Cam needs to have a safety valve. And unfortunately, Greg Olson is not that anymore. At least not to the degree he was in years past. He had the game-winning touchdown last last Sunday. But he doesn't strike me as the 10-catch, uh, two-touchdown tight end anymore. He's the guy that they can maybe count on for maybe four or five receptions that come in the clutch. But... In this game, I would expect that Christian McCaffrey should be heavily involved, at least on the perimeter, because that that middle of the front seven of the Ravens' defense is very, very stout. So theoretically, that's what you'd want Ron Rivera to run. Obviously, that means <laughs> that Christian McCaffrey's getting the ball at the gut at least 15 times. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you know just to... as well as I do what we're going to do. We're going to run the ball up the middle for two yards of carry and CJ Anderson is going to stay over on the bench and watch the game like he has for the last three weeks. He'll come in for two snaps on a option place. That's about it. <laughs> just, just to be on the field. So we have someone to you fake know, the option. Good stuff. Too. Yep. Just in case the defense yeah. is like, Oh, CJ Anderson's on the field. Maybe we should account for him because they haven't watched film over the last six weeks. Like, he has to really be bummed out about that, too. Like, he's not getting hardly any any game at all. I mean, he's he's got to be saying to himself, I want to break free, right? I mean, 
I should put like a little ding <laughs> on every time you make a queen reference. Uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously though, I mean, it, we brought him in because he was a former thousand yard rusher and we thought, Hey, he'll be a nice compliment to, to Christian McCaffrey. And he hasn't, he hasn't played hardly at all in, in three weeks and it's almost, and he's not hurt. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, Ron will say something like, Oh, well, it's part of the game plan and the scheme. What kind of game plan and scheme do you have when you put a thousand yard rusher on the bench and don't put him in the game? Like it doesn't like make any sense you, at all. You talk about a game plan and a scheme. Like it's something that you can't take, uh, that you can't like control. Like, Oh, <laughs> No, no, they've already printed and laminated the sheets. Like you can't change it once you do that. In the game, but my hands were tied. It wasn't in the game plan. Yeah. Well, once they do get C.J. Anderson involved in the rushing game, that's the hammer to fall, in my opinion. Nice. Yeah, (laughs) I'm here too. Real talk, they, they do need to get him involved in the power rushing game, especially against this very good front seven, because it just, you just, eventually Christian McCaffrey's going to get hurt. Let's be real here. Like, he's a big, he's big enough for the kind of player he is and his body size, but you run him up against stout front sevens, eventually he's going to kill Oh, no, he's no Leonard Fournette. You can't keep him under pressure like that. I think, I don't know, he... He seems like a durable guy. I mean, he got all those carries. I know in college is different, but he had uh, an excessive workload in college and was relatively unhurt during his college career. So I think he'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. He'll be doing all right. Something like that. <laughs> Good. So I'm looking. Well. Wait, well, I'm, I'm looking, looking at, at the I'm looking defense. At, uh, the Ravens, oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, go. Football Outsiders, how they how they rank against different pass catchers, and their weakest spots are against number three wide receivers and tight ends. Not that they're bad; they're like middle of the road defending. Like I would guess, you'd say slot receivers to an extent, and tight ends. So. So we know the two players who will not be involved in the game plan no, DJ on Moore, no Greg Olson. Yeah, Funch is going to get like 15 targets. Yeah. So, I mean, that real talk. I do like. I do like how they've been trying mm-hmm. to get more involved. At least, um, he's been on the field quite a bit more. He's had some action in the running game as far as like a diversionary option. I would hope to see more of that, especially if, you know, somehow Ron Rivera comes to his senses and goes with what we were talking about on our last podcast, where they use guys like DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel in the no huddle, where they don't really have to change up personnel that much to just move them around and force the defense to keep the same personnel on the field. Seems like a great idea in practice, but they don't do it. Yeah, so Three, you know, three straight games with good. at least three catches stuff. for DJ Moore. I, I think you can. we should keep building off of that. Yeah, means he'll get three catches. He'll and get his, be his his four targets, five targets, and Ron's like, "All right, we got him involved. Let's, let's get him out of here." He's involved. Don't want to give him too much volume. Don't want the defense keying on him or anything. No, never, never. Um, 
So looking at the defensive side of the ball, um, obviously the Panthers just had quite a bad game against the Eagles offense, and they face a somewhat similar matchup in Michael Crabtree, who will probably see a heck of a lot of James Bradbury on Sunday. Um, on top of that, John Brown, who's probably maybe one of the only players in the NFL who can go step for step with Dante Jackson, maybe even better. Um, alongside Willie Sneed, uh, at tight end, they have Nick Boyle, Max Williams. Um, Andrews. this, this offense is very, very underrated in my opinion. Like Flacco's been playing well. They've been playing well. They've been putting up points. This doesn't seem like one of those hapless Ravens offense that we've seen over the last few years. No, it's crazy what happens when you surround your quarterback with playmakers, like what it does for the offense. Um, their rushing game hasn't been as good this year, but to just to do this for to look at this football outsiders again because I already have the web page pulled up. Uh, last year they were twenty sixth, the twenty sixth best passing team in the NFL, and in the off season they signed uh, Michael Crabtree, John Brown, Willie Sneed, and now they are seventh. In the, they are the seventh best pass offense in the NFL. It's, it's just it's, it's amazing what a uh, competent. And they none of them are like what you'd call like definitive number one wide receivers. Like John Brown's been their number one wide receiver. And it works just because they have so much, such a good, like, you know, versatile skill set among the, the group. They all complement each other real well. Yep, you have Crabtree, who's like the all Sean Jeffrey type. You have the John Brown who can take the top off the defense. Willie Sneed's good in the slot. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much assembled all those pieces in the offseason. It's amazing what happens when your general manager commits to, uh, assembling talent around your quarterback and using them. It's amazing. I mean, I'm sure it also helps that Joe Flacco realizes that he is, uh, he's mortal and he's not a permanent fixture behind the backfield. He almost seems like he got, he caught the Nick Foles syndrome where he's like, I'm going to freaking sling it because (laughs) this may be my last season as a quarterback. And that's dangerous. I mean, we saw it with the Eagles and uh, Flacco seems to be playing a lot of the same way. Very aggressive chucking the ball down the field, not really worrying about turnovers so much, which can be a good <laughs> or bad thing, but in this case, it's working out for him. Yeah. So I do want to say on that point, even with Lamar, I was just going to, I just want to say one thing. Lamar Jackson seems to come in in the red zone too. So that's even more motivation for Joe Flacco losing snaps in the scoring, the meat and potatoes plays that you want as a quarterback. So I could definitely see why he's motivated, but yeah, anyway, John, what I was go going to say about the turnover is he's only thrown four interceptions this year, which is very good, especially by his standards. But it, I do think there's opportunity there. Um, he is, where'd he go? He's one of the more aggressive quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. He's eighth on this on next gen stats. He's got he's the eighth most aggressive quarterback in terms of throwing into tight windows, which you know good throwing close to uh, close to defenders, and he's also the eighth most the eighth least accurate or like second least accurate quarterback who started all their games or third least accurate um, in terms of like his completion percentage relative to his expected completion percentage. So he's throwing into tight windows and he hasn't been super accurate, but he's avoiding interceptions. So I do think there's a chance that there's some regression coming at some point where like maybe he's due for like a three or four interception game. Maybe. 
Well, the good news is that Carolina's defense has been very close to batting balls away over the last few weeks. So those have been some tight windows to throw into. So maybe he'll throw off to the side a little bit and allow some interceptions. I mean, Dante Jackson certainly could get some more to make his case to be rookie of the year on defense. That would be nice. That would be super cool. In my opinion, I agree with your opinion, but, but the Ravens definitely also seem like a team who's going to try and establish the run. And this defense so far has still struggled against the run at times. Like the red, the uh, Eagles really, they did well running the ball, but they didn't stay with it, which I thought was interesting. Where I think the Ravens will, I, I think, especially with John Harbaugh. I think the as Eagles their coach. had a good run, like a couple good runs at the beginning to kind of put the, uh, you know, get going. But the Panthers, I think, buckled down. Like the Eagles only ended up averaging like three yards a carry or less than three yards a carry. It was not a lot, but I hope Baltimore sticks with the run. They've been bad at it this year. Yeah, what what worries me is just like this defense is uncharacteristically giving up a lot of chunk runs in almost yeah, every game. That. That's kind of what concerns me. And Alex Collins is good at he hasn't really this year, but last year he showed uh, a definite ability to hit to be a home run hitter. And he averaged like five yards a carry last year. Do you have any opinions on that? Do you have any opinions on that, Brad? You'd like to share with the rest of the classroom? I mean, you pretty much covered my opinion. Um, (laughs) You know, I I don't think they're going to run too much, though. Um, I I think we're going to see an air it out game. I I think it might even turn into like a bicycle race um, where both teams are just flying on all cylinders. I would think if the I can hear you just like scanning through the, the like the the Queen song list, trying to think of other ways to work in the. <laughs> oh man, um, I would think if Carolina is actually you know doing well on offense, that this would be a better game for them than it would be for the Ravens because we saw how dangerous the offense can be when they are flying on all cylinders, doing everything right. Gives you yeah, somebody too much to love, love will kill in my you. opinion. It's true. All I'm saying is that this offense continues to, to blast through defenses in the fourth quarter. We might be saying we are the champions at the end Bohemian of the Bohemian Rhapsody. So... <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to work that one in, so I'm just going to say it. <laughs> no. But real talk, that if the offense like finally came awake against the Eagles in the fourth quarter last week, and we saw Cam – I forget who said it. It may have been Eric. But he said when Cam Newton's completing passes, jumping in the air on fourth and ten – and getting clocked, that's you know it's over at that point. And I felt that was very true because Cam Newton was on. And I'm curious to see if he comes into this game and he's just on again. Because if he is, this could yeah. be a long game for the Ravens. It, especially if we let him do that from the start. I do like uh, all of the offensive players being like, yeah, we're real good in the hurry-up, no-huddle offense. Like, we're really good at it, guys. Yeah, and then Ron Ron is like, well, we're not going to make that our identity. Uh, you know, 
nobody's saying you have to run it all the time. You know, we're not saying you have to turn into Chip Kelly. We're just saying, hey, you know, uh, Terrell Suggs had to come out because he had to, you know, put his shoe back on, run the no huddle offense so he can't come back into the game. Like it's not, it's not that hard. Like you don't have to do it all the time and don't do it predictably. Like don't do it every time you force a three and out or at the beginning of a quarter or, you know, things like that. Mix it up a little bit, you know, reach into that bag of tricks and pull one out. You know, it, it's okay to go off script. You know, Ron, you won't lose your job yes. if you and if if you have a game plan and you decide in the middle of the game, hey, you know what? We're going to do something different. You know, David Tepper's not going to fire you. On top of that, like this idea that they need to run the no huddle all the time is not necessarily true. I mean, like you can start a drive off, especially if you're starting off with like the first the first snap of the game or the second half first step you can start the game off with with the no huddle just to like establish a little bit of a tempo especially with cam newton he's very he's very tempo yeah. based he needs to get in a rhythm so like it's okay to start a drive off and then not do the no huddle the entire time but it's it's a certain kind of magic for when cam newton is when cam newton is on and you allow him to, to start and get a tempo, run the ball a little bit, and he can take over a game from the get go. I don't know why because you, you got to establish the run. You got to control the clock. It's heaven, it's heaven for everyone. When, it's heaven <laughs> for everyone when he when he does that. You got to win that time of possession. Just spread your spread wings, your Ron. Wings. Just spread your freaking wings. That's all I'm saying. Save me. Save me, Ron. Just save me. <laughs> um, but yeah, on top of that, if they're going to run the ball, maybe they should run it behind the right side a little more often. Like I remember seeing that the left side was somewhere where they ran the ball much better in the beginning of the season. That's probably because Taylor Moten was over there. Let's uh, run the ball on the right side a little more now that Taylor Moten's over there and Trey Turner's over there too, in my opinion. Maybe. I think we should also let C.J. Anderson run it some too. Uh, but I can't remember. That would also be nice. Even even uh, yeah. Arma, Alex Arma. Maybe like him, It's almost like Ron doesn't realize that it's not illegal to put C.J. Anderson and Christian McCaffrey on the field at the same time. Like, it's not a penalty to do that. You can do that. I feel like he's like... I mean, I do think we need to see more, like, more Christian McCaffrey in the slot. I know Brian's talked about that recently. I, and that would kind of be, like, the way to do that is you put C.J. Anderson on the field and Christian McCaffrey wide receiver. Maybe with Torrey Smith hurt, that's something we go to. But I don't know. No, it's kind of maddening to me because, like, you have a guy who could have been drafted in the first round for simply his receiving pedigree, and they still refuse to put him in the slot. They just keep throwing. And granted, last week he did well out of the backfield, so I'm not going to take that away from them as far as, like, if that was their game plan is to keep Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. But this week, 
against the Ravens defense that chews up the run and gets after your quarterback, it's like, okay, I get it. Christian McCaffrey is better at pass protecting than he used to be. But come on, man. Like, get more weapons on the field. There's nothing wrong with having too many weapons on the field if you can get the ball out in time. Like, there's nothing wrong with having McCaffrey running a drag or a slant over the middle and having C.J. Anderson run maybe an option pass block route and Curtis Samuel running a reverse or running something deep down the field. There's nothing wrong with that. They all have the ability to catch the ball and do something with it. Why not put those kind of players on the field together? It just doesn't make sense. I'm looking at what you were just talking about, Brian, with the rushing success. Uh, looking at sharp football stats. Um, Christian McCaffrey, well, the Panthers in general, but it's obviously pretty much all Christian McCaffrey. Uh, 67% success rate running outside of the right, 67% success rate running at the right tackle. And then uh, looking on the left side, we have a 0% success rate running over left guard, a 0% success rate running over left tackle, and 25% success rate running outside of the left. So yeah, uh, the right side seems like the way to go. Which, like you said, makes sense with, with Taylor Moten and Trey Turner. Well, also, Taylor Moten has definitely established himself as at least the top 15 right tackle. Is that fair to say? I think, he's, I think, I think at least is very heavy emphasis on least. Yeah. He's good. Which makes it interesting it Makes it interesting when Darrell Williams is ready to come back. Yeah. Because I think he's been kind of forgotten about. Somebody asked about that in our... Uh, in our group, or I shouldn't say group, our uh, post today about the podcast, they wanted us to go over the first round picks over the last few years. I felt it was a little early for that. And then they mentioned something about what what the real situation will be when Daryl Williams returns. And uh, I don't know. I mean, like, if Matt Khalil wasn't going to be on the roster next year for sure, I'd think maybe they'd try to bring Williams back, but it almost kind of seems like it's counterproductive at this point. Especially when they got to sign maybe Devin Funches and definitely Cam Newton in the next few years. <laughs> maybe. We'll, 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 we'll jury still out on that Cam Newton guy. Maybe Shaq Thompson too. I mean... Um, I just, I, yeah, I think the ideal situation Yeah, would that's be... what I think. Moten at left tackle and Williams at right tackle, right? Correct? It's a lot of money to be shelling out for a tackle, though. At least for this year? Because you'd think, like, Daryl Williams and Ryan Khalil and Trey Turner. It's a lot of money to be shelling out for those three positions, especially when, you know, two of them play the same position. So, that could be a problem. Yeah. Right. Marty Herney, hey, we, if he's... Marty, Her- Marty is... Go ahead. I think we're going to say the same thing. We were about to say the same thing. I was going to say, I, Marty Herney, if he's still around, is going to have a lot of tough decisions on his head. I was going to say, um, we, uh, he's, he's shown that he's okay with, you know, letting guys walk. He's not the Marty Herney of old of handing out contracts to everybody. So, if, if Moten keeps playing, well, since we're kind of stuck with Khalil for at least one more year, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, because like you said, that's a lot of a lot of, you know, cap space to contribute to to commit to the offensive line. So I wouldn't be surprised if Darren Williams walks. Especially when you have two more years of Taylor Moten, at least, you know, like yeah, at, at 
bargain basement. Yeah, call. there's no reason to offer Daryl Williams a lot of money, especially when you have guys None. like Eric Reed you want to sign back. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Tory Smith. Definitely Tory Smith. Or CJ Anderson. Especially if you can get him at another team friendly contract. I mean he's five million dollars for a, an NFL number three wide receiver, that's a that's a steal in two thousand eighteen dollars. Mm-hmm. Something reasonable, like five million dollar contract. I do think that is that is a fair value for someone of his caliber, considering like what we saw in the free agent market with like Paul Richardson getting $8 million a year and Sammy Watkins getting like 14 million and so on and so forth. Yeah. If Paul Richardson's worth $8 million, you can't convince me that Torrey Smith isn't worth $5 million. And like it's just, you guys have literally seen me arguing about this in cash scratch reader comments since March. Torrey Smith is worth $5 million. I don't care what you think of Torrey Smith in the free agent market, $5 million for any free agent receiver who's worth the damn is a bargain. And I've been, yeah, I've been yelling, exactly. at, I've been and yelling about it via text since I've been till I was blue in the face, and people still said Tory Smith is worth is being paid too much. Well, guess what? He's fucking Torrey not. Tory Smith should be paying the Panthers. <laughs> Tory Smith should be paying the Panthers to let him play for us. Yeah, of course. And it it always it makes me laugh when people say stuff like that he's not worth it. You know, it's not like we have to pay Tory Smith like. You know, when you go to a game, the money that you're giving them, it, it's not like you have to put an extra $20 in a bucket that goes to Tory Smith. So uh, it, it doesn't matter if, if, if the 5 million is the, if, if it's 5 million or 15 million, you know, you're not paying it. So just Enjoy it because he's worth $5 million. I've just been imagining since you said that them tore it passing around the Torrey Smith donation jar at Panthers games. I mean, I haven't been to a Panthers game, so maybe they do that. I don't know. Maybe they pass around a Bojangles bucket with, with Torrey Smith written on it in Sharpie and that it actually that's how he gets is, paid. I, it, I don't it's know. actually two pieces of tape and it says Steve Smith, but the Steve part is crossed out and over it, it's written in a different color of marker, Torrey. To try and fool some oh, that, fans. That actually sounds believable. Yeah. yeah. I think that would happen. That sounds legit. So, guys, I have some good news. Yeah? Um, sorry, I keep accidentally turning down my headset. Uh, where would you guys say we're weakest in our past defense? In terms of, like, area of the field? Probably the middle. Yeah. Yeah, like... Yeah. I would say either the middle or wherever Colin Jones is. Which is usually the middle. Or the bench recently. Um, Joe Flacco this year is uh, has a 39.6 passer rating on deep passes in the middle of the field and a 78.3, or 78.3 passer rating on passes in the intermediate area of the middle of the field. Both are below well, average. Well, that sucks because whatever so, – the That red. sucks because whatever He's going to have a career day on Sunday. Well, on top of that, it sucks because whenever Eric Reed actually picks him off, the NFL is going to find a way to turn it over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to get like a clear interception where he just like it's like a catch and run, and the referee is just going to panic and throw a flag right it's away. It's going to be a like, pick right, six, guys. and I tell you, it's going to be a pick six, and they're going to throw a bullshit flag on something like hands to the face. It'll be taunting because he, <laughs> they're just going to throw a flag and just call. It'll be taunting because yeah. he got up with the ball. No, with, I'm thinking with they're... vigor 
and tried to run with it. That'll be taunting. No, nah, they're going to call like a like a illegal contact penalty. <laughs> illegal so contact penalty as the receiver bumps this... into the referee. <laughs> just every, like the moment Eric Reed gets an interception, we're just going to see like six flags <laughs> fly onto the field. Yeah. Six flags and the hat. But... They're going to throw the hat too because, you know, that <laughs> got to make sure we see it. It just be raining official projectiles. You'll think you were in Steelers Stadium with all the fucking yellow towels that are going to go up in the air. <laughs> One thing we haven't talked about, and I think it's a legitimate question considering who we're playing this week, is Joe Flacco elite? He won a Super Bowl. He did. Something Cam he Newton has not done. Mm-hmm. Makes you think. In fact, how many players on this roster have won a Super Bowl? Tory. Exactly. And he played with Joe Flacco, <laughs> therefore making Joe Flacco elite. He didn't win with Joe Flacco, did he? He did. Was he on the Ravens? He absolutely won? did. Yes. Okay. Oh, so he does. Two. So he's got two. Yep. Yeah. He makes that quarterback better so by. Tory Smith, Smith wins Super Bowls. Tory Smith makes his quarterback better by proxy. I, I, so I don't know why Panthers fans are so pissed about his $5 million contract. I, I see the vision now. I mean, I would pay $5 million to win a Super Bowl. I would, too. If I had $5 million. I would pay $5 million out of David Tepper's pocket to win a Yeah, Super Bowl. I would, too. Let's all just... He'll never even notice it's gone. Let's all just buy lottery tickets. I'm sure we can make it happen. CSR, $2 a yeah. piece. Let's go. Let's buy ourselves a Super Bowl ring. Let's do it. <laughs> We can make it happen, I swear. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So, moving on to scoring projections. Um, I'll start with John. What do you think is going to happen this Sunday? Since I was right last week. Yeah. And that was the only one that was right last week. Good for you, buddy. Um, Not to brag. We were right for three quarters of the day, though. I hope you take. I hope you make yourself a nice, a nice strong mixed drink at your tiki bar in your room for that victory. <laughs> um, so I'm going to keep picking the Panthers. Uh, I think we'll start faster, especially being at home. Um, we always play much better at home. Uh, All right, we're losing. I don't think we'll score a whole lot. Of... Oh, okay. Now I pick. We're four and two, and I pick the Panthers every week. So you can't be acting like uh, me picking the Panthers is a bad thing. Um, we'll go Panthers. Um, twenty three Ravens, sixteen. Brad, what about you? John's guess is pretty close to mine, except it's going to be flipped. I think the Ravens are going to win twenty three to seventeen. I believe the Panthers will lose 17 to 10. If you guys are wondering, the Vegas, uh, the Ravens are two and a half point favorites and the over under is 44. So if you, if you do some math, that's roughly like 23, 21, 24, 21 in that ballpark for the Ravens. That's the, uh, the Vegas, the Vegas prediction. Well, I don't buy it. Thoughts? I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. 
This seems reasonable. <laughs> seems reasonable. But I I just struggle to I struggle with I don't know, like counting on this Panthers offense to show up again against a very good defense, especially since that defense just lost to the Saints. So it's kind of where I'm coming from. I'd argue that our offense hasn't showed up for real in like three weeks, so they're due to just be good from the start. For yeah, I, I think one of two things are going to happen. I think it's going to be an extreme situation. I think we're either going to see like a, a nine to three game where none of us want to, to live after it's over, or we're going to see like 45 to 38 where neither team can stop the other one. Um, because, you know, we are due to, to have an offensive breakout. And I think the Ravens, while they are really good on defense, I think it's possible that this could just be one of those, hey, it's football, what are you going to do type games. That sounds fair. But I do think we're going to lose. <laughs> well, any other lasting bits here? Nope. Anything else? Freddie Mercury is still the best. Lamar Jackson wants Cam Newton's jersey after the game. That's pretty cool. Well, I can see why. I mean, Cam Newton's a good quarterback. Joe Flacco's kind of. I, I don't. Right. I don't really get it because he's he shares a locker room with Joe Flacco. Like, why? Why does he need <laughs> Cam's autograph? He's sitting next to an elite quarterback as it is. He asked for Joe Flacco's jersey after every game, so I kind of hope he does. Yeah. <laughs> Because that would be funny. One other thing about Joe Flacco, I, I, I very much enjoy him at wide receiver. That is funny. Yes. Yeah. He's like he's like Jay Cutler. Like at least he gets himself in like a wide receiver stance, and he could not stand more still while the plays are being run with him at wide receiver. Yeah, Jay Cutler is the elite quarterback at wide receiver guy though like nobody could give less of a shit about anything than than jay cutler does (laughs) like joe flacco is bad but nobody's as bad as jay cutler standing there like shoulders pointed uh parallel to the line of scrimmage with his hands on his hips during a during an nfl play there's there's no beating that (laughs) so i guess we're uh wrapping up You, you can wrap it up yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. I thought we. Wow, you're the host, right? <laughs> well, life lessons from Brian Beversluis. At some point in your life, you're going to meet somebody who is death on two legs. But the important thing is, if they say you're my best friend, and they also sing Bohemian Rhapsody, that's just great. I want it all. That would be the love of my life. And if you meet that person, and they say, "Now I'm here." Maybe you should go for it and let them save you. So from all of us here at the Keep Sounding Podcast. Especially if it's is... a fat bottom girl. Exactly. The show must go on, though. <laughs> from all of us here at the Keep Sounding Podcast, friends will be friends. This is Brian, <laughs> joined by Brad and John. Enjoy our podcast. Enjoy the Ravens game. Hopefully we have a victory to talk to you about. Hopefully we have one vision for you next Monday or Tuesday, depending on the day. Thanks for listening. See you. Empty spaces 
My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.